Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. There's not a Fortune 500 company in the world looking to hire a CEO in his 80s. So why would an 82-year-old Joe Biden be the right person for the most important job in the world? Because I've acquired a hell of a lot of wisdom. I know more than the vast majority of people. I'm more experienced than anybody's ever run for the office. And I think I've proven myself to be honorable as well as also effective. So, Robert Gibbs, there you have it. The question that he's going to have to answer a million times between now and November of 2024. President Biden with Stephanie Rule uh, over on your network there, MSNBC. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Big get for uh, for MSNBC in that interview. Uh, first TV interview since announcing for re-election. And as you said, that's, uh, that's a question he's uh, no doubt practiced before that interview. And uh, we'll get a chance to uh, hit in the batting cages uh, many, many more times. Maybe why he hasn't done that many interviews. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, speaking of big gets. Yeah. Speaking of big gets, you know who we have today? Who? The great Sarah Longwell. And I cut, I wrote down, because I didn't want to mess up, I wrote down all of her titles because she has so many of them. Publisher. There was a coronation recently. <laughs> but publisher of The Bulwark, sort of the leading never-Trump strategist in 2020, probably dusting off her, her uh, magic tools uh, again. Uh, you, can an- you can answer yourself, Sarah. Uh, host of The Focus Group, my, w- one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, and and not le- uh, not the least, uh, a former fellow at the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, where she is an honored person. And Robert, you're a former member of a board of the of the IOP, so you can appreciate that. Sarah, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. That is being at the IOP was the is the title I am most proud of of that. I agree. Well, good because you helped uh, inspire a bunch of young kids there. Speaking of young and not young. <laughs> Uh, you do focus groups. You do focus groups all the time. That's w- what your podcast is all about. And the focus groups are really well done and they're really illuminating. Um, how would your focus groups uh, process uh, the president's answer to that question? Uh, I, you know, I guess I don't know how they process it exactly. I know what they think about his age, though, because I've been asking them now. Yeah. For, you know, I do a focus group every week and I do it with Dems and I do it with swing voters and I do it yes. with Republicans. Um, yeah. And look, everybody is concerned about his age. There's just there's no two ways about it. Um, but we've talked about this before. You know, uh, the question has always been everybody sort of knows Joe Biden is is, is old. Um, and the, the question has been, like, well, what's the alternative? Uh, but in both cases, what's the alternative on the Republican yes. side? Because that is, uh, you know, look, and I, I, I did. You're right. I did my work in, in, in 2020. My tools are swing voters. Swing voters is who I focus on. Right. In 2020, I focused on persuading swing voters uh, against Trump with Republican voters against Trump. In 2022, we did that at the gubernatorial level and at the secretary of state level, uh, trying to persuade swing voters against voting for these election denialists. And look, the voters at the time, swing voters, they were really down on Joe Biden uh, and they still voted uh, for mm-hmm. the Democrats and against these Republicans because they do not like the alternative that Republicans present them. And then, you know, in terms of there being an alternative Democrat in this moment who could sort of 
step up. Like we're just past that point. We're oh, gone, no, right? I think we right? are. Yeah. Um, and so I think that for the voters, they are they are concerned about his age. Uh, they are not sure he is up to it. Republicans are going to make um, a huge deal out of it. You know, Nikki Haley did that thing pretty recently where she she basically said, look, Joe Biden is going to he's going to die. Um, yeah. Which, of course, is true, as we, we all are. But she says he's going to do it uh, soon. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what Republicans <laughs> are going to do. They are going to run against a dead Joe Biden and an alive Kamala Harris. And that is going to be their play. And it's going to be unpleasant. And he is going to have to find a way to sort of say, hey, look, not only he's going to have to find a way to, to really back Kamala Harris to convince the country that she is prepared to step up in the case of his eventual demise. He's going to have to find a way to say, look, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. I've had a lot of loss in my life. And I know that this could this could happen. Um, but like I'm up for this job and I'm enthusiastic. I mean, I don't know. He's going to he's going to have to make a he's going to have to find a way to and, and just leave and listening to that clip, though. He sounds. He sounds sort of grumbly and uh, he does sound old in that clip. He's going to have to find uh, his his B12 shot, whatever he took before the State of the Union when he gave that. He's going to have to do that a lot. Um, and he's got to show no, people energy. he may need B14. I was going to ask this when we got to a different part of this. When we were talking a little bit about the Trump town hall. But in in your in both of your opinions, do you think we need to see more of Joe Biden? Do we think do you think we need to see him give the answer to this question, to other questions, to to be more um, present in uh, in our kind of news cycle as a way of answering this idea that he's and we'll get into the Washington Post poll that shows that the numbers on this have significantly declined really over the past couple of years. But do you think do you, do you think he needs to be out there doing some of this more often? You mean the numbers on his his perceived decline have declined. They're not they're not as good for them. Yeah. But Sarah, what do you think? Because my guess, my view is, uh, yeah, they want they he needs to be active and he needs to be seen as being responsive but only if it's good i mean if it just reinforces the concerns i'm not sure that's right. the way to go so this has always been my take on what joe biden should do which is he should not give more speeches and i'm not even sure he should give more live interviews i think he should go more places and interact with more people in front of cameras I think you need a lot more moments with Joe Biden doing the thing that he does best, which is sort of talk to individuals and put his arm around them and look engaged. Um, you know, I think sometimes I thought, look, I thought the State of the Union was a real high point for him because I thought he kind of he when he got into the back and forth with Republicans and he he showed that he could kind of he could he could mix it up because this is the this is the thing about voters right now. Everybody wants a fighter. Everybody wants a fighter. And so. And right now, there's a lot of Democrats. They sort of this is what they say in the focus groups is they they feel like Republicans, they feel like Democrats are sort of bringing the knife to the gunfight um, and and they want somebody who can who can really mix it up. And they're not always sure Joe Biden can do it. And when he has those moments, that's really good for him. But I think where he shines is when he's kind of walking around, slapping people's backs um, and, and being one on one with people. And I think if he had more could do more of that, whether it's getting more press around the infrastructure rollouts, that kind of thing, that's better for him. The speeches sometimes can be tricky or the even the interviews, because he doesn't always sound there's a yeah. reason people are worried about it. And let me just one follow up there. The, the fighter stuff, is that for swing voters or is that for partisans? Because that's for partisans. Okay. But but this is yeah. but why is his so I mean we're talking about this Washington Post ABC poll where his approval rating is just dismal. 
um, and it's 36%. But the thing is, that means he's the people that he's losing, I know who some of these people are. It's not, um, a lot of them are partisan Democrats who think that Joe Biden is not doing enough. I mean, one of the things that comes up a lot is like, well, they said they were going to forgive my student loans, but they haven't. Or they think not enough is being done on the environment. And like, those are hard partisans. Those hard partisans are going to vote for Joe Biden in an election. Um, but they are frustrated with him right now. And they're the ones who tend to talk about wanting somebody who's going to go toe to toe with Republicans in a stronger way. Yeah, I I think I've heard actually, I've heard that in other focus groups as well, that the the fighting Joe Biden is um, and this wasn't only among partisans, but it does show like energy and uh, people do uh, respond to that. You know, one of the things that I wonder too is um uh what we've seen you know now there's a republican congress um he's not going to get big things done uh in this congress highly unlikely um we've got a border situation that is uh welling up we've got uh you know the stand and we'll talk about these things as we go along but the stand uh standoff on the debt ceiling uh general disquiet about the economy potential for a recession and you know i've always said i've probably said it here because i say everything many times because i myself am in decline so uh it's one of the hazards of that but i do worry about um i worry uh, for biden i would worry about this notion that uh things are out of control and he's not in command and I think that's something that the Republicans are going to be selling. So to the extent that he looks like he's in command and sometimes in those confrontational settings, he can be that way. Uh, you know, that is to his uh, that is to his benefit. Not entirely sure the year is set up, at least in the short term, to demonstrate that, particularly around the debt ceiling. But we can. We'll, well, we'll, the border we'll, is tough, too. You know. Yeah. On this poll, what's interesting is. You know, 62% or 63% said Biden doesn't have the mental sharpness to serve effectively as president, which is up from 43% in 2020 and 54% a year ago. Uh, And a similar number said 62% said he's not in good enough physical health to be effective. Um, And they give Trump much higher grades on these two things, even though he's virtually the same age uh, as Biden. So it's really a presentational uh, think. Right. But the interesting thing is that there is this, you know, 12% of the people who said they did, they didn't think he had the met- mental sharpness to serve effectively as president said they would vote for him against Trump. Uh, there's another group of people, like a majority of people think Trump should be indicted, uh, right. or, con- uh, you know, charged for, the, for the crimes that he's committed. And some percentage of them say, yeah, but I'd vote for him against Biden. Uh, so, you know, this, this is how tribal we've become that people have profound doubts about each of these guys, but they're going to stick with their team. And Sarah, we did a focus group. We, I did your podcast and we did Democrats who, who are very much, I feel like they called all those people for this poll because to your point, David, you know, they expressed reservations, they'd pick somebody else. But then when Sarah and the moderator were like, so if the opponent is Donald Trump, everybody's like, yep, I'm with Joe. And mm-hmm. it means it's really going to come down to this group as it did in 2020 in the middle. I think this is very much the Biden strategy. I mean, he is 
you know, this thing about don't judge me against, uh, uh, you know, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. I mean, that's the essence of the campaign here because he believes that he can beat Donald Trump. And he believes that if Donald Trump's not the nominee, that Donald Trump will be an accomplice in destroying whomever is. That's their theory of the case here. Yeah. And it's an okay theory of the case. I think it's a a dangerous one, considering that even if it's 60-40, I don't like a 40% chance of Donald Trump becoming yeah. president again. I think that we're talking about something that would be catastrophic for our democracy. What He pulls us out of NATO. He decides that because, you know, his second term was stolen from him, he gets a third term and he does. I mean, like just the the, the, the hellscape of a scenario that I can paint you at what a another or, or what does it say about America? Unnecessary, Sarah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you guys are well versed on that. And I'm sure your listeners are, too. But the only point I would make is this is exactly the same game plan that George W. Bush had in 2003 going into 2004, that uh, that Barack Obama had in 2011 going into 2012. Donald Trump essentially did when he was running for election. You could all throw this back into Bill Clinton as well. I mean, this was, you, you know, I, I pulled these headlines, Axe and I were texting on Sunday. Incum- embattled incumbents run against their, they, they, they set up the choice. They have make sure to. That's not they don't a have any choice. They don't have any choice. I mean, I, I went back and, and again, I was texting with Axe on this on Sunday, right? September 2011, Washington Post headline, Obama hits new lows among strongest 2008 supporters. Mm-hmm. October 2011, majority expect Obama to lose re-election, right? 37% in the October 2011 poll believed Barack, Barack Obama would be re-elected. And everybody decides like, we did in the re-election campaign that we have to make this a bigger, broader question. We have to flesh out who the answer is on the other side. We have to compare those two answers and suggest this person is not not the right person for this time. I think that's... You left out the, the my favorite headline, which was Nate Silver's cover story in the New York Times Magazine a yeah. year before the election. And the headline was, is Obama toast? Yeah. So I, yeah. I remind Nate of that all the time. It is helpful for all of our listeners to understand there are more than 540 days before election night. Yeah, I think what you're seeing in these numbers is just a reflection of people's general unhappiness with their current choices, right? Like there's a lot of people who are just looking at 2024 going, are we going to rerun this again? And they're annoyed about it. They don't want to do it. And so people are down about their choices like they would like you know we know we've seen a million different polls that said they'd like to see somebody other than you know joe biden shouldn't run again well he's running again and so the the right. the, the question becomes will they vote for Same him with Trump. No, yeah. quite back the, the, right. the, the, the somebody else thing is moot now and That's right. uh yeah unless something happens that we can't predict you know but does uh, it mean we won't throw people like michelle obama and all these other people into hypothetical polls about well who should you know be there the is a danger i mean robert yeah. f kennedy jr is to me a he he sullies the what i consider a sacred name in american politics and history with his crazy anti-vax stuff and so on uh but um he'd do much better you know, in the republican field He'd be yeah. he'd be cleaning up if he was uh maybe he'd be tied with DeSantis right now in the Republican <laughs> primary. Yeah. That's a good point. But uh but he'll get some votes if he, he's on the ballot in New Hampshire. He'll he'll get some uh votes against Biden. All right, hold that thought. We're gonna take a short break and now a word from our sponsors. 
So, Sarah, you wrote a piece in the uh, Atlantic that appeared yesterday or today, uh, and it basically was about, I forget, what was the headline on the piece? I think it was something like GOP voters think Trump has too much baggage, but they'll vote for him anyway. You know, honestly, they sent me four titles and I couldn't remember which one we chose. (laughs) I recommend the piece, by the way, to anybody. Talk about what you what GOP voters have told you since the indictment and explain why he has strengthened in polling since that time. You know, I'm just going to go back a little further and just say even like maybe the last time I was on this show, one of the things I want to stress is that since the January 6th hearings and then accelerating after the 2022 elections, I was just seeing a big chunk of Republican voters saying they wanted to move on from Trump. And their main reason was electability. They thought he couldn't win. They thought he was weak. And they were really interested in Ron DeSantis. Um, And I I, I always said to people, you know, when I started to see the shift away from interest in Trump in 2024, it was around the January 6th committee. But I actually think it had a lot to do with the Ron DeSantis boomlet, which was also happening around the same time, because in order to move on from Trump, you have to have somebody to move on to. And Ron DeSantis was giving them that place to move on. This now what we're seeing, this Trump surge is a function both of, I think, the indictment, which has allowed Trump to sort of suck up all the oxygen, but it is also the sputtering of Ron DeSantis. It is also Ron DeSantis showing a lot of uncertainty in how to handle both how how he handles the indictment, how he handled answers on Ukraine. He's getting pushed around, you know, on Ukraine. He went the Trumpy way and he got mm-hmm. pushed around by the establishment. And didn't yeah, he doesn't look very strong. No, he doesn't look very strong, especially for a guy who's built his brand around fighter. Right. He did. Right. He's cra- God made a fighter, you know, himself in the Top Gun bomber jacket. <laughs> you're going to go that direction. That's who you're going to say you are. You better show it. And that is not what he's showing. And so one of the things that's happened as I've been doing the focus groups, you know, weekly, we always ask about Trump and DeSantis. And I've just seen, you know, when the indictment happened, we did a, like an emergency group right after it. And it was the first group we'd had in months and months where absolutely everybody said they wanted to vote for Trump in 2024. And mm. since then, we've seen the groups flip where prior to the indictment, you'd see a majority of the group really saying they thought they should move on to maybe somebody like DeSantis. Trump was still getting votes. They still like Trump. But there was a majority wanted to move on to DeSantis. And now it's reversed where the majority in every group is is they want Trump. And uh, I just I, I think that I think that one of the things that the indictment showed, it's not just the rally around Trump effect. It also demonstrates the bind that these Republicans are in, where when Trump is the central drama, they become this supporting cast, all being like, yes, it's very bad that the deep state is trying to get Trump and we're all on his side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is like the Ted Cruz conundrum of 2016. Like Ted Cruz is like, well, I'm going to hug Trump really tightly. And then when he flames out, I'm going to get his voters. And for some weird reason, Despite all of us knowing that that doesn't work, they're all doing the same thing right now. They're saying, well, I don't want to. Ron DeSantis said it in that leaked version of his debate prep, you know, where he said 2018 from 2018. I don't want to piss off his voters. And that's the trap that they're all in right now. Sarah, isn't that his his strategy is actually it's not just navigating around Trump's voters. His his candidacy, the predicate of his candidacy seems to be that ultimately. Trump will be so damaged that his voters will need to find safe harbor somewhere else because Trump will be unable to or they'll see that Trump will be unable to to win. And by uh, cleaving as close to Trump on issues uh, and 
you know, thrilling the base with a whole with this right wing agenda that he's passed in Florida, that he will become the default choice of these people. And it, I'm not sure that it works that way because he's still running against Trump. Yeah, I mean, it only works if Trump is literally taken out by some exogenous event. And and like everybody's been hoping for this meteor to strike Trump and for him to be taken out by somebody other than them. Did you say if Trump is taken off out by some erogenous event? Is that what you <laughs> exogenous, said? Exogenous. Oh, exogenous. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, however, uh, I think we've seen the, the erogenous event actually just made him stronger. Think of it as a big storm. <laughs> that was good. Big storm. How much of this, though, do you do you both believe? I mean, to me, this seems, I think Sarah set it up well, when you pose yourself as a fighter and then you feel like you get pushed around, then people aren't really buying what you're trying to sell. But I feel like a huge part of this, and we've talked about this on different episodes, is Donald Trump is in, and his campaign, probably more importantly, is in full-on two weeks before the Iowa caucus uh, type strategy and tactics, where Ron DeSantis looks like they are playing out a plan that was drawn up five months ago that they were going to have like eight months to be able to go out and speak to every group and just do the positive and build your name ID and have people get comfortable with you. And in fact, he's just he's just not simply playing the game. And it's not, you know, part of it is he put off he's put off announcing um, you know, but it, it also, this resistance to even, even up till now respond to different things. H- how much of this do you think is sort of his meta strategy and how much of this is just, he's not yet on the treadmill? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I, I do think that they tr- are trying to have this strategy where Trump wanted to draw DeSantis in early, right? And DeSantis didn't want to yeah. come in early. He wanted to play his game. It like he realized how hard it is not to march to Trump's drumbeat. Like Trump is setting the pace. He's throwing haymakers and Ron DeSantis is sitting on the sidelines begins to look like cowardice, even though it's supposed to be the strategy. Now, the second question, though, is like, okay, and I see a lot of the people who are pro DeSantis in my world, the anti anti Trumpers who are super invested in DeSantis. They're like, the guy's not even in the race yet. Let's wait and see when he gets in the race. But and maybe. okay. Uh, let's see when he's on the treadmill, how he does. I think part of what we've seen, though, in this uncertainty in this moment is that maybe Ron DeSantis isn't that good at this, that maybe <laughs> yeah. when he gives speeches yeah. about Florida's where woke goes to die, like that's fun for like a minute. And that's fun if you're the Trump understudy. But, you know, it's not it doesn't work when Trump is out there putting on a circus, putting on a show and you're saying you're playing to your base, but it's still like a 70 minute policy speech in a lot of ways yeah. like that is stuff to compete but the other thing is i this and i say this in the piece but the voters relationship the people wanted to move on to ron DeSantis, their relationship with DeSantis is shallow um like they've only really known him for right. this 18 months and they don't know him super well and the relationship with trump is deep and even good bad ugly the relationship runs deep and with this vacuum that is left by DeSantis not saying anything, Trump is filling that vacuum with information. And so DeSantis isn't able to define himself. Trump is defining him. This is the problem with the delay. I mean, you know, you being half, yeah. sort of half in and half out, he's been, uh, he's, he's laid himself, uh, he's laid himself open to, to this. So I, I don't know. I, uh, I've never, you know, you know, Robert, cause we've talked about it a lot. I, I've never, I mean, DeSantis could pull this out. This we're, we're still early in this drama, 
but um, yeah. this process exposes you. And I think he's being exposed, uh, you know. And by the way, you say, what's his meta strategy? We won't know about DeSantis until he's met a voter, <laughs> right? Uh, because I think that's <laughs> going to be a problem for him, too. He's just not, a, you know. Yeah. The, the, the most telling thing in that tape from 2018 was that his team told him, write down likable on your pad yeah. and remind yourself to be likable. If you have to remind yourself to be likable by writing it down on a pad, it suggests it doesn't come naturally to you. <laughs> and it's uh, that's a that that that's a big problem. But listen, I think Trump and look, my feelings about Donald Trump have, are, are, are you know, somewhat well known. clear. Yes. But I've said here and I continue to believe they're actually running a really smart campaign. Uh, they you know, they're running a There's smart no campaign under the surface in terms of what they're doing uh, in the states and, you know, trying to uh set the rules up in a way that uh, favors Trump. But they've been very, very strategically sound in how they've proceeded. So that leads us to this uh, town hall he's doing tomorrow night. CNN is doing a town hall in New Hampshire with New Hampshire voters, Caitlin Collins, who's uh, my colleague at CNN and and has not uh, been shy about confronting Trump, uh, will be the uh, moderator. I think it's an interesting decision fascinating to do this i think in some ways you guys he is setting up a contrast with desantis who basically won't do interviews with anybody but fox maybe some other right-wing outlets and is very sheltered and trump is saying you know what i'm not afraid i'll go out there i'll do cnn i'll face these voters in new hampshire and he's you know it's one more thing it seems to me now we'll see how it goes it could be a disaster who knows but it's one right. more thing that makes him look bigger than DeSantis. No, no, you said it though, Axe. I mean, he's this, and this is where DeSantis is going. We, we won't really know whether DeSantis can do this for a couple more months when he gets into probably not a studio and and does a town hall meeting in New Hampshire, but into somebody's living room in New Hampshire or the the you know uh, I guess Republicans don't go to public libraries these days, but it, you know they go to the, the sort of town square type thing and and has to answer. From voters, I think it's fascinating to watch to, for Trump to sort of he, he never has seemed like a play it safe kind of guy. Uh, and clearly the campaign thinks this is a, a good thing for him to do. And and look, to your point, if it, you know, if, if he can make this even a marginal success, uh, all of a sudden, fewer and fewer people start to buy into and start to fund the idea that DeSantis can actually do this. I, I think there's a, a a big play in this in terms of squelching the resources that would make Ron DeSantis effective. You already see headlines around mm-hmm. this, and and Republicans doubt it. And there was some article I think on CNBC, like you know Wall Street beginning to think he's just not the guy. To me, this is a bit more of an inside play than Donald Trump is used to, because I, I think they know they can choke this guy off before he gets a chance to prove to people that he's capable of doing this. They're also trying to set up a contrast with Biden by going out there and, you know, in an exposed way. And yep, you guys got to take Trump, uh, you know, you got to take him seriously, not literally. Right. When he says the press is the enemy of the people, he still thinks they're his friend. Right. He wants all the oxygen. When Robert says choke them off, that's that's exactly it. Trump wants all the oxygen for himself. He's going to do everything 
flood the zone. We know their strategy. And you are yep. right about Susie Wiles and the people running the Trump campaign. They are La Savita. In, yeah. La Savita. Chris La Savita. They right. are morally compromised, in my opinion, deeply morally compromised, but they are professionals. And like when Ron DeSantis came to Washington and they orchestrated a bunch of Florida uh uh, Florida House members to endorse Trump while DeSantis was here in Washington. Yeah. That is such a deep cut. That is a that's just a gut uh, a gut shot. And and that is the kind of campaign they are running. And so going on CNN, what do we have? We have process stories about Trump going on CNN, and and we have uh, we'll have the actual press around him doing it. We'll have all the contrast stories about DeSantis how he doesn't do press. Like every time they do this, this is a this is this is this is well struck. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. So. Sarah, let's say he does fall away, DeSantis. Does Trump just march in, or is there room for someone else, do you think, to 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 suck up some of the oxygen? I've been trying to answer this in two ways, which is there is actually an opportunity here, right? There is a big, if I had to split up the Republican primary electorate, I would say there's 30% uh, who are always Trumpers, 30% maybe Trumpers, 30% move on from Trumpers, and then there's still like 10% of us never Trumpers or something. But it's just like a rough thing. The always uh, or the 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 move on from Trumpers, like these are the people that DeSantis should be consolidating right now. I do not understand. He should consolidate the move on from Trumpers and then try to bring in the maybe Trumpers. Instead, he's trying to wrestle away Trump's cult, which right. doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. But there is an available audience for people who want to move on. The problem is... So, so like, yes, there's this opening. The question is, is then you look at the candidates and you say, is anybody politically talented enough to go get that group? Like, and I'm not sure they are. Like, what we're what we're seeing from DeSantis is a is a diphthora, a lack, an absence of political talent. And a if he diphthora? can't, I, that's the it's the it's the inverse of plethora. I'm pretty sure. Oh wow. I'm running to the dictionary after this. If Axe doesn't know the word, then you can assume that I'm just going to nod my head and say, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah Diphthora, <laughs> absolutely. Diphthora, perfect. Okay, go ahead. The, but is this There's a shot for that. So, <laughs> if, if, so the question is like, so, so, it's, so I, I answer it both ways, which is, yes, there's an, there's an opportunity. I'm not sure there's an available political talent to seize the opportunity. Yeah. No, I think you're right, because I... I I was struck, I think, most by the coverage of this Washington Post poll to step back for a second. Everybody like had this spasm of like, oh, my God, Donald Trump could win the presidency again, which I'm sort of like, well, yeah. for, unless you were born sometime right after 2016, I don't understand why people, A, think that's surprising, right? The second thing is I feel like people are overreading every national poll, both in a general election and in, quite frankly, the Republican nomination. In reality, there are probably eight months left, right? That's a lot of time in Iowa. That's a lot of external events. That's a lot of leaked tapes. That's a lot of indictments. And maybe those indictments don't, don't do anything but harden the knot between voters and Donald Trump. But I'm, I'm, I can, I'm continually amazed at how many people are like, well, Okay, it's over. So it's done. So it's yeah. You know, I know. Well, I, why are you continually amazed by that? We lived through that for years together. No, no. I, I, I know. That's why I'm continually amazed. Like <laughs> I, all these people that had to put away their Rudy Giuliani for president T-shirts, who still think somehow, you know, it's crazy. So here's my question: You say Donald Trump could win the presidency, and plainly, if he's the nominee, he could. Uh, and everybody is uh, 
is focused on the fact that Biden's approval rating here is, you know, in this particular poll is dropped. He's had a diphthora to the 36 percent mark. My God, I hope I'm using that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, if not, we will make up a new definition. <laughs> the thing that's interesting to me, I mean, and Trump has like a six or seven point lead over Biden in this poll, but he's only at 44 percent. And the question is, where is Trump's ceiling in a general election? Because it was never very high. And the question is, is it high enough? Uh, you know, Biden people are betting no, that there's a ceiling there that will prevent him from uh, from winning. But man, it's a this is like Russian roulette. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take that chance. Uh, but I think the only to some degree it is. I mean, that's why I think to your point, David, I mean, and it's why I kind of was ranting a bit on the idea that, you know, there's a long campaign, long general election campaign that will play out. Remember, Joe Biden has the benefit of and his campaign does of watching this Republican thing play out and using what's happening on the Republican side to color what the electorate is ultimately going to focus on, which is, again, one of the things that I think we did well in 2011 leading into 2012. Look, there's I'm less worried about Joe Biden's approval rating in this poll. It's not, quite frankly, hugely different than it was in kind of February of 2022. To me, there's some very disconcerting underlying numbers that we talked about. Well, Trump has an 18 point lead on on the economy. Yeah, no, no, dis, not good. The, that, yeah, fifty four thirty six on that, I think. But to, there, there are two things that I think are important: one for the short term, and then one for the sort of meta of the campaign is the debt ceiling debate that we're going to get into, and that Joe Biden and, and McCarthy and McConnell and Hakeem Jeffries are having a meeting about this afternoon at the White House. You, you know that. Two to one, people want to separate debt and spending issues from the debt ceiling itself, right? So Joe Biden has a bit of advantage on that. Probably most importantly, deep in this poll of not great news for Joe Biden, 66% of the people polled oppose what the Supreme Court did on Roe versus Wade. And we know Mm -hmm. that's still going to be a hugely animated thing. Again, this is why polls are not predictive they're a snapshot of what was happening five or six days ago or a week ago. I just think there's a lot, a lot to play out in terms of this. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. So here's my prediction on this debt ceiling thing, guys. And then I want to ask you one other thing about Trump that I asked last week, but and I think I disagreed with the answer that I got from Murphy and from uh, Amy Walter. But um, uh, I think what's going to happen on this debt ceiling thing eventually is that they are going to set, they have to find a way to have coterminous processes going on where you're negotiating the budget and you're, passing the debt ceiling uh at the same time uh but they can't biden needs to be able to say i'm not i'm not bargaining on the debt ceiling and the other guys need to say they've got concessions on the budget and the only way to do it it seems to me is if they uh pass a short-term extension of the debt ceiling oh here comes a bulletin Trump found liable in his civil case. So this is the E. Jean Carroll allegation. 
Hannah McDonald, our trusty producer, always on the always on the uh, Manhattan jury on Tuesday has found former President Donald J. Trump liable for the sexual abuse of the magazine writer E. Jean Carroll in a widely watched civil trial that sought to apply the accountability of the Me Too era to a dominant political figure. Jury of six men and three women. This does get back, uh, Sarah, to the uh, question of how many bricks does the load take? How many of these do these things? People, there seems to be a rallying around Trump, uh, certainly around the first indictment. I mean, is that going to continue as each brick is added to the low? Man, I don't think so. Although this one, I got to tell you, I'm surprised. So I'm surprised that this just happened. Um, I think that this is like of a different. Here's the thing. We know all of the stuff about Trump and women. Uh, Charlie Sykes, my colleague at the Bulwark, had a really good piece uh, the other morning in his Morning Shots newsletter about all Trump's uh, all Trump's women and like how many accusations of sexual assault uh, he has been accused of and how it's we knew it. And we like he said mm-hmm. it on tape and none of right. it mattered. He was still elected president. And so I'm skeptical because I'm always skeptical that these things um, hurt him. Uh, but I am it is. I, I actually I was actually much more worried that this was going to come back in his favor just because the case was so old that I thought it was going to be one of these things where it was going to play to his favor. Um, and so I do think this is this is certainly uh, bad for him to be. Do you know, either be a Civil. lawyer when it, Yeah. When he says you are held liable, it doesn't mean you're found guilty. No, because it's not a criminal no. case. So, it so it mean, a, means yeah. that he's going to have to pay her a boatload of money. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the appeal process is in a civil suit, but, you know, he's going to delay. He's going to delay everything as much as possible. I mean, my question is, does is it in this perverse kind of way? Does say he gets indicted on the documents thing, which seems pretty likely gets indicted in Atlanta may get indicted on the January 6th stuff. Does the does the sheer volume of it actually impeach itself? You know what I mean? Become white noise, you mean? Yeah, and sort of like it's just what I'm telling you. They're, they'll do anything to stop me. Let me just tell you the one like sort of perverse psychological thing I hear from Republicans about the indictments, which is they say, clear as day, and lots lots of people say this, something like some version of this is this is because they're so scared of Trump. They're so scared of Trump that they want to bring all this stuff. They want to throw as many things at at him as they can. Right, they're never right, going to stop right. trying That's to get him. Point. And yeah. the fact that he the fact that people try so hard to get him is in their mind a um, it affirms that he is the right choice to go fight the liberals because that's they're trying to stop him because he's right. the no, most dangerous just, this one. Is, this is exactly what I was asking. It, it is perverse, but it's it may be a reality. I mean, look, I think his whole candidacy is some way a shield against all of these cases. And by the way, I mean, some of them are state, some of them are civil. Some are, right. So he can't pardon himself. But you know that on any federal charges, if he got elected, that that he would. So I don't have the poll question in front of me, but the post largely asks a series of these questions about to your, I think you brought this up earlier. One of you did about, you know, should he be indicted? Should he be held right. liable? There's no real change. If you, They've got a couple of things in the polling document where they show that people's view of him post January 6th like immediately post January 6th and now isn't markedly different around those events yeah. or about being held liable. N- none of that stuff's markedly changed. It, so to your point, David, I don't think 
there's some idea that I don't know if, if there should be an, an opposite of diminishing marginal returns. Um, but I don't feel like this is one of those people who, oh gosh, okay, this was finally the thing. Because if it, if there was going to be something that was finally the thing, presumably it would have been two plus years ago. So no, I think no, to listen, your point, I think he's going to wear all this as a badge of, of yeah. legitimacy that I am the true anti-establishment candidate in this race. It may go to your other question about whether or not do these things push down ultimately his general election ceiling, right? Yeah. Or prevent him from expanding it because his ceiling wasn't enough. Right. And and the, the last thing here, which is, you know, and this goes to, I think one of the reasons that DeSantis and all the other Republicans are struggling is they're going to, at some point today, here's my prediction, we're going to have six or seven presidential candidates put out a statement in support of Donald Trump. And Mitch McConnell's going to get asked, he said this the other day, I support the Republican nominee. If he gets asked that today or tomorrow, he'll support the, I I think that I don't, I just, there's been so many off ramps for them to say, let's all just get together and get rid of this guy. Let's finally vote this guy off the Island. And every single time they look around at the other people on the Island, they're like, well, let's not kick them off today. Well, someone may realize what what Sarah Longwell just said, which is they're fishing in the wrong pond. You know, they're fishing in the wrong pond, and maybe there's more to be done by taking the other route and saying enough, <laughs> enough already. Uh, you right. know, but uh, so here are my two things. Uh, one is I think that they're going to have to pass a short term. Uh, debt ceiling extension that expires at, on the same date that the budget expires and they're going to have to negotiate the budget at the same time and so there will be a there will be a negotiation but it won't technically be around the debt ceiling it'll be around the budget and uh, that to me is the artful way out of this mess and we'll see if they can navigate this but my question for you guys and I want to start with Sarah is um Last week, the question came up, will Trump participate in the debates this summer? And uh, the consensus was uh, of Murphy and Amy that, you know, like a moth, moth to light, he can't avoid, he, he doesn't want to avoid, he, you know, he, he'll want to be there because he wants to be the center of attention. I think there's a strategic argument for not going because if he's not there, it's a non-event. Like, who's going to, tune in to watch those guys and in some ways he turns them into a sideshow makes them small i heard the discussion i'm on your side the uh i i i think i tweeted about this when he first floated this i was like there is no incentive for him to get on stage and elevate these other people right and, and when he when he skipped that debate uh in in 2016 what did he do he held a rally at the same mm-hmm. time now i don't know whether he has the juice still but like to, ha- to get, you know, to basically counter program an entire debate, but I'm not sure he doesn't either. Uh, and so, but I do, I just, I agree. Uh, now, I don't think he can sit out all the debates, no. but I think that he could do a few things like, what are the ratings like with Trump versus not Trump? Like there's a bunch of ways <laughs> right. in which he can, he can create uh, the sense that he is central to this thing existing. Like if Trump's not at the debate, yeah. did the debate even happen? Right. Exactly. Well, and he could and he could sort of say like, hey, you guys are the undercard. You guys figure out the undercard. And when you get the real competitors figured out, then let me know and, and I'll come be part of the main event. 
I think some of the answer, though, X, depends on who's on that stage, right? Um, and what I mean by that, it, to, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the next two weeks in terms of Donald Trump's political health, not on what may happen in a courtroom or in a, in a judge's chambers, but what's Chris Christie going to do? Yeah. Because to me, if there's one person that is going to essentially say, give me my suit coat, I am going out there to stop one person from being president and who's capable of doing it. I think that person is Chris Christie. But here's the thing. If Trump's not there and DeSantis is, doesn't that make DeSantis a target of these other people? Completely. Because nobody can go, nobody can get to Trump before they knock off DeSantis, right? I think that, Sarah, you would say that based on your focus grouping, right? 100%. And we already see them doing it. They would much rather yeah. fight. Nikki Haley is going after DeSantis over Disney. Like they would much rather fight with him. And even Christie, Christie does them both because the problem for Chris Christie is can he throw haymakers at Trump? Is he willing to go at him? He is. Problem is what Chris Christie wants is for people to vote for him. He's not going to do it in service to Ron, of Ron DeSantis, right? He's only going to do it in service of himself. And Chris Christie is not going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, like, I mean, I have tested him. Totally agree. Team. And there is no interest in Chris Christie. Uh, and so I just think that he'll still go after DeSantis, too. He's done it a bunch where he's gone after Trump and DeSantis kind of at the oh, same yeah. time. So he killed Marco Rubio. He yeah. sure did, man. I mean, he you know, I think to me that there's an interesting thing there. One thing just a real quick on your debt ceiling uh, uh, <laughs> thing. X. I, mean, I think the real danger for Biden in the scenario that you you unwind is I'm not sure a short term debt lift. Um is what the markets and the world economy wants to see because it's basically an acknowledgement that there's this is we're on a yo-yo string and maybe everyone acknowledges that may be yeah. true but it may be what's possible yeah i agree but i i think i i, I think the challenge for democrats and, and i you know is if you look back and you read some of the stories from 2011 and 2013 by 2013 look no negotiation we're not doing this and eventually, and obviously I'm shortening the story, but Republicans concede and, and pass a, a clean debt limit. I think we're way, way, way past that. I, I think the idea, I, and and I'm, I'm not so sure that, quite frankly, remember, 2013 was past Obama's election. There was a lot less politically on yeah, the yeah, line. Yeah, understood. And I think that the challenge that Biden has from, how, how you've got to be... His persona is no chaos, the adult in the room, and the guy that can drive a bargain. And I think that plays, that's a tough peg to fit into right, a very right, round right. hole right Well, now. I mean, the problem, obviously, at the end of the day is that Kevin McCarthy is hostage to 20 hostage takers, and that's going to make this a difficult process. And now, a word from our sponsors. If you have questions for the hacks, send them to hacksontap at gmail.com and we will try and uh, answer your questions. You guys, we're going to have to do something about diphthora. I don't think it's a word. I think I've been using it my whole life. I've been like Googling this. My mom uses this word. She's a lawyer. This is a game changer in my life. This podcast is 
Brought to you by thesaurus.com. If you didn't understand anything <laughs> said during this today, if you thought diphthora was a word, if you're confused as to what coterminous means, go to thesaurus.com. Or check your diphthoras. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. So I'll start with you. Axe. Yes, sir. This comes from John. Assuming that the pressure is enough for Senator Feinstein to step down and assuming the pressure is great enough for Gavin Newsom to select a replacement who will not run for the seat, wouldn't it be a prudent decision to put either Nancy Pelosi, who's looking to retire soon anyway and deserves a chair on top of resume, or Maxine Waters, who's 84 and in no position to run for the seat permanently? Would Barbara Boxer be a viable option? Make and break hearts right now in California, John, I, I have no idea, but I know that two years ago, uh, Gavin Newsom said if he had a chance to appoint another senator, he would appoint a, a, a black woman to the United States Senate. And I kind of believe that he would choose someone who would serve. So I don't know that he's going to go this route, but I know I, I did a podcast, an Axe Files podcast this week with Katie Porter, who said, I'm in no matter what, whatever he does. Essentially, that's what she said. I think Adam Schiff probably feels the same way. Barbara Lee. I think that if he, if if Feinstein leaves, and you're right, she may not. She's been resistant. If she leaves and he has an appointment to make, I'm guessing that despite your Solomonic advice, which makes sense to me, he will appoint someone. Uh, the the mayor of uh, San Francisco's name's come up. London Breed. London Breed but he'll yeah. point, but he'll appoint someone who will end up being a candidate but it'd be smart to think otherwise this whole conversation may be completely irrelevant because feinstein just announced that she'll be returning to to the senate after a long absence and she's been pretty insistent that she's going to serve out her term dick durbin is happy all right but if you're picking london breed that's somebody who's not currently running barbara lee fits that bill of black woman but but is a candidate right well that yes right uh so basically, John, I don't know what he's going to do. Okay? <laughs> Get off my back, John. I don't know. All right. Take that and your coterminous. <laughs> Bill asks, could GOP intransigence on the gun control issue come back to haunt them, meaning Republicans, in the same way the abortion issue has and has and will continue to haunt them? Have we reached the flipping point where this will be a defining issue in a way it hasn't been previously? Yeah. So um, here's the way to think about it. It it is not singularly going to be at a tipping point with Republican voters where it is going to determine their vote. That's just not how guns work uh, for voters. However, in the focus groups, when you ask about guns, just like abortion, you get a lot of people who are on the Republican side who are two time Trump voters who think we should have more regulations around guns, just like they think they'll say I get I hear this a lot. You know, I, I believe uh, I myself am pro-life, but I believe in a woman's right to choose. This is why whenever you do a referendum, even in Kansas, where ballot is uh, where abortion is the only question, you get overwhelming support for it. But here's the deal. The way that guns will work, the way abortion will work, it's kind of like how it worked in 2022, where all of these it. things come together to form yes. a picture of a candidate who is too extreme. A melange of extremism. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so that's how it works. Not singularly, not alone, but together with some of the rest of the election denialism with abortion. Guns. That's that's how it works. Gib, she's as smart as advertised. And we should just note that one of the things that Ron DeSantis is going to try to walk out onto into his presidential campaign is a concealed, you know, is a, a, a law that allows anybody to have a gun and take it wherever they want to in Florida. Right. To go along with his six-week abortion ban. 
Yeah, I don't, you know, in prison next to Disney World. He's got an agenda that's built for the primary season, which is, of course, the problem for the Republican Party is that they they, yeah. they, they run to win primaries and then they end up damaging themselves for general elections. Gibbs yeah. Kevin uh, asks, it's early, but Kirsten Cinema's days as a senator look numbered. She would disagree. She's out on a kind of PR tour now. What is a lesson other senators can take from cinema and how hard is it for a senator who's losing and whose days look to be numbered to be effective on Capitol Hill? Uh, it's a great multifaceted question. That last part, it's easier to be effective on Capitol Hill when Democrats have a one seat majority and a number of people like Dianne Feinstein who aren't playing senator right now. So I don't underestimate her ability to put some sand in the gears really on either side uh, right now. Look, I, I think what most people are going to take away from this is not a surprising thing. And we see this, quite frankly, play out on both sides, which is very few or fewer and fewer districts or states are representatives or senators worried about losing a general election. They're much, much more worried about losing a primary. They're more worried about, you know, in Sarah's last question, the reason that they're not going to go out on guns, even if they they worry about it, because somebody's easily just going to put down a marker slightly to the right and say, this guy's not a conservative anymore. This person on a different issue isn't liberal enough. to. So I think it's good. Look, I think the tendency is going to be you're seeing you're seeing a, a, just a lot fewer of those, quote unquote, moderate senators. I started in Washington in the early 90s when there were a bunch of them. Uh, and they could cut deals and they could they could be a strong group. And I, I think that's becoming less and less. You worked for one of them, right? Fritz Hollings. So. Uh, Fritz Hollings was somebody that, that you know, yeah. Graham Rudman Hollings deficit reduction, which right. wouldn't happen these days. You're in, you're in Arizona. I am in Arizona. And I, I look at Kirsten Cinema. I, I saw her on uh, she did a long session uh, on Face the Nation and uh you know she's she's very bright and she's she's she can be very thoughtful where she's hurt herself is not just on policy issues but the way she's conducted herself this this sort of performative elements you know curtsying as she votes against a uh, minimum wage increase you know re- kind of refusing to speak publicly for long periods of time as she's you know involved in her legislative but she's been a force in the Senate. Uh, uh, Republicans, in particular, like working with her. And in a very closely uh, divided Senate, that's that's valuable. Uh, I just think she's, uh, you know, if you look at polling, it could change. She's worn out her welcome uh, with Arizona voters, if, uh, and it'd be tough to win there. Sarah, what you've probably interviewed some some Arizonans on on the issue of. Senator Sinnaman, I agree with Axe that the antics have been sort of the cherry on top of the cake for people pushing aside. But wh- where do you see voters in your focus groups on this? Democrats are pretty mad at her. Republicans like her, but they're not going to vote for her. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, and the question is, uh, are there enough independent voters to build a base uh, there? Um, I, I'm doubtful about this. I think she uh, and I'm doubtful that Ultimately, she'll be a candidate, but we'll see. Sarah, before we go, you know, we have this book club here, and uh, we know that you have a book selection that you would like to recommend to our listeners. We're all ears. So my buddy at The Bulwark, Tim Miller, 
has a, mm. a great book. It was a New York Times bestseller. It's probably the only book I've read in the last six months because I have very small children. Uh, so other than like Goodnight Moon and other you know things <laughs> like such that. a great book. It is a great book. That's a classic. It's great. That's right. And uh, it, it done the thirty seventh time. It is as good as the first. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. But uh, but no, would book- you say that about Tim's book? <laughs> Tim's book I only read once and I read it fast, but uh, it's called Why We Did It, A Travelogue from the Republican Road to Hell. Tim was uh, Jeb Bush's comms director and and prior to that, a yeah. Republican operative. He and I worked together when we were in our mid-20s. And so our journey that found us to get back together at the Bulwark has been not the same, but similar. And so it's just it's a but it's a great fun read. He's an incredible writer um, and I would recommend yeah. it. It's a great book and he is a great writer. We will say go find that recommendation, that great recommendation from Sarah. Why we did it, a travelogue from the Republican Road to Hell by Tim Miller. Yeah, he's is your he is a fabulous, fabulous writer. Uh go to hacksontap.com slash book club and see Sarah's recommendation. Also go buy Goodnight Moon and give it to a new parent or expectant parent. You'll be like the king of the world or queen of the world. Greatest book. Yeah. It's Greatest so good. Book. And you yeah. can read it using your same voices for years and years. Uh, but go to Hacks on Tap slash book club to see all the books that we recommend. Sarah Longwell, it is always a pleasure to be with you. You're so smart and uh, you always come armed with uh, with good focus group material as well. So Come back again. Anytime. I love it here. All right. And uh, Gibbs, I will see you soon, my friend. Always. Thanks, everybody. 